G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Gemma Sissia is the founder of the School of St. Jude in Tanzania. The school all started after Gemma visited Africa as a naive, newly graduated teacher who wanted to change the world and help the poor get a quality education. Eleven years later, this school is going strong and Gemma has been back in Australia for a few weeks, attending some Catholic education conferences and showcasing the work that's being done in Africa. I spoke to Gemma recently and asked to start by explaining a little bit about what exactly the School of St. Jude is. The School of St. Jude is a school based in East Africa and we are in the country of Tanzania. One of the campuses, so there are three schools of St. Jude in Tanzania, the secondary campus is only about 15 minutes drive from the Mount Kilimanjaro International Airport. So we're in northern Tanzania, about 10 hours drive from the coast of Africa. So that's where the schools are. How did it come about? Well, I'm from northern New South Wales. Um, My mum and dad have a sheep property about 40 kilometres west of Gaira in um, north of Armidale. And after university, like many people do, I went across as a volunteer teacher to work for a few years in East Africa. I was working in a girls' private school and, you know, like normal private schools, the parents of these girls had to have a fair bit of money to be able to send their daughters there. And, you know, when you're under 25 and you think you know it all and you're infallible and, you know, um, life's very easy, I just thought that there needed to be a good private school but one that's totally free of charge, having no idea you know, how hard it was going to be to do that. But anyway, so I just thought, why isn't there a good private school that's free of charge? Why are they always charging school fees? Not thinking, gee, you know, how how do I pay the staff? And gee, how do we build classrooms and maintain them and organise a bus fleet and food for the children and stationery and uniforms and excursions, all of that sort of thing. But um, God bless, um, I was very lucky that I was naive and had no idea. And so I came back to Australia all very excited about wanting to build this school. And one of my friends in Armidale gave me $10 to start the school. And so I went down to the, the closest bank to where we were having lunch together, and that was actually the Commonwealth Bank. So I walked into the Commonwealth Bank and opened a bank account and started with $10 and then has have just been consistently fundraising and doing talks at different schools, service clubs, churches. And um, the school is now... 10 years old so we opened the school in 2002 with only three sponsored children because that's all the sponsors I could find at the time but at this very moment there's now three schools and we've got going on 1700 students from primary to secondary. What sort of reaction did you get from people not only here in Australia but in Tanzania when you're like I want to start a private school that's fully free (laughs) I I think there'll probably be a few strange looks coming your way. Not a few. (laughs) A lot. But it's just, you know, I mean, I just wouldn't do it now. I remember selling my car and I paid off my credit card debts and I had like $200 left over after I bought my plane ticket and I jumped on the plane and not a fear in the world. You know, I wouldn't do that now. But it's just, you know, when you're young and I called the school, the School of St. Jude. Now, St. Jude 
if you're not sure who he is, he's known as the patron saint of the hopeless cases. And I thought, well, a girl from a sheep farm with $10 to start a school in Africa, that's a pretty hopeless case. I think what's helped me to build the school is maybe growing up in the family that I did. I had seven brothers. And being the only daughter, I was expected to do everything on the farm from shearing to crutching to shearing horses to mustering. And I think the other thing that's kept me going in the school growing is my faith. I just wouldn't have been able to do it without the help of St. Jude and, you know, and um, going to church and just uh, having faith that it's meant to be, if mm. you know what I mean. Mm. So things will work out, and it has. Every time I've come across a hard time, I sort of just waited out and... Because I believe that the school is meant to be, a solution always comes through, and it does. You just got to be patient because things happen in God's time, not your time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an interesting case is that sometimes we don't often hear about the fact that it is all about waiting and seeing how God plays things out, not how we play things out. And probably one of the biggest lessons we have to learn is patience. Oh, yeah, and it's like waiting to the last minute sometimes. And you just go, what? You know, you, you know, um, they could, the answer could have come a bit less, you know, before, you know, extreme pressure set in. But mm. it, it always comes. With the School of St. Jude, how, how much of the, uh, your faith focus have you put into the school? I mean, obviously being named after a Catholic saint, there would be some sort of connection there to the church. Has that been a problematic thing within Tanzania? Uh, no, um, Tanzania actually is a, where we are. It's very heavy Christian. So it's about eighty percent Christian. The biggest religion where we are is actually Lutheran because Tanzania initially was a um, a German colony. Right. After after the Lutherans, it would be the Catholics, and then we've got about twenty percent Muslim in the school. And also, you know, we have um, one of my headmasters is Muslim. The other two are Christian. And absolutely no issues in 10 years between the Christians and the Muslims. But also, too, the staff know that I won't tolerate it either. It's important for the staff to know that it doesn't matter what religion you belong to or what tribe you belong to, because that can also be an issue if you allow it to be. Then it's, a, you know, it's important for them to know and for the kids to know that it doesn't matter what tribe or religion belong, you belong to. If you work hard and you're passionate about your job and you have good ethics, you'll be promoted. Now, the School of St. Jude is, is not just a, a day school either, is it? You, you've thought outside the box and thought, well, what is it really that you're trying to do? And you seem to have thought, well, okay, well, if we're bringing in kids who are from a, a, a tough background, then they're going to need somewhere where they can not only go to school, but somewhere where they've got to live. Yeah, so from day one, I've had a lot of pressure from the parents to make the school a boarding school. And um, I always said no because I have my own children. So my husband and I, we have four children now between 12 and one years old. And you've got to have some sort of life. So whereas if you have a boarding school, it becomes 24-7. Anyway, so over the first seven years of the school's existence, it was a day school. But over, over those first seven years, um, we started getting lots of issues with welfare issues from the kids' families, nutritional issues because the families couldn't feed them enough, not because they didn't want to. It was just, you know, normal for a family to maybe eat once a day or once every two days. And as kids are growing, they need to eat more than that. Uh, three or four kids to a bed, homes without water, so hygiene, washing of clothes, washing of linen, bed bugs, all that sort of thing. So we opened boarding in 2008, it's not because we wanted to, but it was because we sort of backed into a corner. And now we have about 1,200 in boarding. 
and about 400 in day. And it's been the best thing ever. The kids' academic performance is wonderful. You won't find any skin rashes or ringworm, very few welfare issues and uh, nutritional issues, and that's because of the boarding. And in regards to the boarding, because I cannot manage it myself, I actually outsourced the management to an order of nuns. So over here in the West, the orders are dying out, but in the third world, the orders are booming. And so we have an order of nuns running our primary boarding section, which is about 600 students. And then we have another order of nuns running our secondary boarding section. And it's really, it's going really well. You know, in five years, I haven't had to come out at night for an emergency. The nuns do everything. Wow. Hmm. It's such an incredible thing to to think that this massive school, you you just said you've got over 1,500 students, both combined with your, your boarding school and your day school. And it's all come out of this $10 donation that a friend of yours gave when you had this crazy idea 11 years ago. Yeah, who would ever? You know, I often think, you know, um, we're actually out here just for a couple of weeks, my second son and I, to do it, to, to speak at a conference. And um, I showed him where I used to catch the school bus. We used to ride our bicycle down the road and jump over the ramp and and wait for the school bus. And if a genie had said to me, you know, you know, in 15 years' time, you're going to be living in Africa, <laughs> you know, building building schools, I would have told him to get back in the bottle. You have no, you know, have no idea what's ahead of you when you're younger. Mm. We're chatting to Gemma Cecia. She's the founder of the School of St. Jude in Tanzania and back in Australia for a, a short while as she attends a few uh, Catholic education conferences where she's been speaking and explaining a little bit more about what the school does. Gemma, let's take a look at the school a little bit more detail. When you first started uh, 10, 11 years ago, what was your concept and how has that grown to what it is now? Okay, when I first got to Tanzania, I wanted to help the poor and um, got off the plane and thought, oh, crikey, everyone looks poor here. And I only had three sponsors, so how do I select three children from thousands who are obviously poor? Anyway, so I thought, well, at home, our parish priest usually knows who's really, really, really hurting behind the scenes. And so I went and spoke to the parish priest of the village, and then I went around and spoke to the Lutheran pastor, and then around to the sheik. And I asked each of them to give me a few kids from their religious communities who could really, um, their families are struggling. So that's how it started. But then it was only, probably only about two or three weeks later, I realized that the sheik's firstborn son was in the school, Anna and Lanista and Charisma, whose parents were on the parish council. And I thought, hang on, these lists aren't very transparent. So then I started going around to the churches myself on Sundays and talking to the mosque on Fridays. And I, I would invite the, the families and parents to bring their children to the school if they thought that they um, warranted a free education due to poverty. And that's how we started the Friday selections. Nowadays, when we do our Friday selections, we run Friday selections between August and December every single Friday. And during that six months, we probably see in excess of 10,000 students all applying. We open 150 uh, new places each year. That's all we can do, 150 each year. And there's a lot of competition because it's a private school. It's a free education, primary, secondary and tertiary. And so it's very competitive to get into the school. 
the selection process of getting into the school is a bit hard because when I started the school, I, I just wanted to help poor kids. But then sadly, an, a number of the children who were enrolled in that first year, they wouldn't come to school. I'd call their parents and their parents wouldn't come in. So I changed the selection policy to be poor children, but children who actually wanted a, uh, who wanted a good education. And so we started evaluating the families more and the children more. And also as a person who's tried to get the project off the ground, we need the type of Tanzanian that Tanzanian, Tanzania needs. It's not more factory workers or more mamas working in the markets. It needs entrepreneurs. It needs architects, engineers, doctors. Um, and so the mission of the School of St. Jude is very simple. It's educating the future leaders of Tanzania. So we have a very tough selection process. Um, it's basically an academic selection process. So we're looking for children who are extremely bright um, and who are extremely poor. And that's the combination that get those 150 places. If you just have a selection criteria of being just poor, then you've got thousands and thousands and thousands who who fall into that category. So how are you going to select 150? Is it the girls? Is it the boys? Is it the cutest? Is it friends of friends? You have to have a, a process that's very transparent and it's you know, uh, fair to everybody, regardless who they are or who they work for or who they know. And so to get into the school St. Jude, you have to be either in grade one or kindergarten from a government school, not a private school. You have to be able to pass our entrance test. You have to be able to pass our poverty test. And that's the only way that you can get into the school. And um, we add, we grow by 150 each year because resources-wise, that's all we can cater for because it's already catering for just a growth of 150 each year. We This year, it's about $4.5 million we have to raise to run the schools and boarding because we don't um, collect school fees. It's all by donations. It's interesting just to hear that and to hear how you're going about it because you think, well, okay, if, if it is all about educating the poor, then as you said, you know, everybody in Tanzania seems to be poor and yes. it's a matter of trying to work that out. But here you are saying, well, look, we want to do this, but we've also got to try and you know, explain to people that we've got high standards because this is the whole purpose of this academic facility is to achieve a high academic status and educate doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs. As you've gone through that, what sort of reaction have you gotten? Because uh, I believe that uh, 2015 marks the first year of your senior class graduating. Yes, well, it's hard. Basically, you know, I can only help 150 kids per year. That's all the funding that I think I can raise, given, you know, that I'm, a, you know, Gemma Sissia. That's my contribution. Sadly, someone else will have to help with the other 23 million in Africa that I cannot access or, or support. So I can help 150 per year. So in St. Jude's this year, we, we have close to 1,700 students between primary and secondary. Basically, what we're trying to do is very simple, trying to make the money go as far as possible. So if I can produce a doctor, then that will have a huge effect in the future, you know, with medicine in Africa. Like as a woman, I've had my four children in the local hospitals over there and the country seriously needs doctors and gynecologists. In 10 years, I haven't had an electrical engineer at the school. I can't find one. So wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, produce a few electrical engineers because there are hundreds and hundreds of companies and employers such as myself who are screaming for educated Tanzanians, but we can't find them. So what we have to do is we have to go to the border into Kenya because that's a much educated country or Uganda 
or further afield. We have to, you know, we have to bring volunteers in to help with the school. But ideally, we, we're wanting Tanzanians. So that's what our little school is trying to do, is to produce high-end professionals to help the country move forward. Now, out of that, uh, Gemma, what do you see as the future of uh, this type of schooling? Because, uh, as you've said, you, you've got high examples here, but you've also mentioned there that you've got the opportunity to show the rest of the world what the School of St Jude has been all about, by bringing in outside volunteers and giving people a glimpse into what the country of Tanzania is like and what you're trying to do with your mission. Um, what's the future hold? Well, I hope the future, I look forward, like my youngest daughter, her name is Louisa, and she's just turned one last week. And wouldn't it be lovely if her gynaecologist was one of our students. You know, it's just, you know, that's what I live for. Just uh, very simple dreams like that. I don't expect to change the, the country or the world or whatever, but if I can help educate future mothers, if I can help educate men about, you know, how to treat their wives and their families in a better, in a better way, if I can help future mothers know about how to have a, a balanced diet, and how they can help their own children be better educated, then, you know, I've helped contribute to make the world a little bit better. I don't have any big expectations of changing Africa or even Tanzania. Those 150 kids per year, I hope that they will have the domino effect of helping a lot of people around them. That's what I hope. Gemma Sasia is our guest on Vision today, talking about the School of St Jude in Tanzania, which Gemma founded when she was... a a naive 22-year-old straight out of university <laughs> wanting to change the world. Gemma, let's go back to you a little bit for a while. Um, 22 years old, you, you landed in Tanzania and wanting to, to change the world, as I said, and, and help the poor. What was the first thing that you noticed about the country of Tanzania? What was it that drew you to that particular part of the world? Um, the simplicity of people. People are very welcoming and they still are very welcoming. I love the wildlife there. I love the lifestyle there. I, um, yeah, I, I like everything about Tanzania. I don't think Tanzania has good steaks like you have in Australia. And I miss my brothers <laughs> and my mum, you know, of course. But um, sadly, we lost that about 10 years ago. So he's already quite busy helping me upstairs. <laughs> but um, I don't have any thinking about coming back to Australia at all or any plans. Well, tell us a little bit about family life now. I believe that uh, you met your husband while you were in Africa. Um, an interesting story, no doubt, as, as to how you actually met. Yeah, so when I first went to East Africa, I was working there as a volunteer teacher, and like many people who go to East Africa, you want to go on safari and see the wildlife, and you know, I wanted to go to Serengeti. So I jumped on a bus and went to Tanzania, and... I was going to go on safari with a company that was run by a German lady and the driver was a driver called Mike. However, the next morning, another driver turned up and his name was Richard and he ended up being the driver of our safari company and I had no idea that seven years later we'd be husband and wife and then have four kids. So that's how I met him. He drove our, our safari car but it was quite amazing because I didn't see him but when we were driving into Arusha, he was sitting next to Mike, who was going to take our safari car, and he said to Mike, you see that girl in the bus? I'm going to make her my wife one day. So he paid Mike $50 to exchange. The, <laughs> that's why he drove the safari in the end, not Mike. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, 
you know, I never went to Africa to, you know, to find a boyfriend or, you know, a husband. It just happened from left field. But again, I think there's a lot of these things are meant to be. Not only did I marry him, but he just happened to have a wonderful father who was the village chairman who was very pro-education and actually gave me two acres of land to start the school on. And he helped me get through a lot of government hoops in the beginning, you know, in the in the first few years. And um, it was just all these, you could call them coincidences, but I don't believe that they are coincidences. I think Richard was meant to be, his father was meant to be. I actually, when I was in university, I um, I really wanted to do medicine, but missed out. And I was devastated and cried for weeks. And then I went into teaching. But uh, I look back and go, well, thank God I didn't get into medicine because the school St. Jude wouldn't exist now. Mm. So there's all of these little things that um, at the time you can't work it out. But then when you look back, it's sort of like it was meant to be. And I'm sure that's just God making sure that I'm living the life that I'm supposed to be living. Uh, Gemma, tell us a little bit about uh, your growing up and your faith journey itself. Uh, You've been obviously a part of your family tradition, been part of the the Catholic faith, and that's obviously been a a major part of your life and a major part of who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about how important your faith is to you, not only then, but now? Look, I I thought I had a a quite a normal upbringing, but now that I'm much older, it was quite unique. So my mother and father had a very open-door policy and were very into community spirit and mum and dad often had beds out on the veranda we always had people staying with us who were on the you know were having issues at home or with their work or their business um we had a constant flow of priests bishop kennedy who was like my surrogate grandfather used to come up all the time and spend two or three weekends a month at our property especially once he once he um, retired Ted Tenworth. I don't think the retirement village fed him very well, so he used to come up to the farm a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and mum would feed him up before he'd, you know, go back to the retirement home. And, you know, he was like my grandfather, and he would always sit next to the fire in our lounge room, and he'd tell us all about the different saints and tell us why he became a priest and then, you know, his life as a bishop. And then we used to have these other priests come through who were missionaries and they'd tell us stories about their missionary life around overseas. And, you know, when you're young and you hear these stories, you think it's all very, what is it, um, magical or, you know, uh, exciting, but it's actually not. uh, Aid work is very hard, hard work. It's very lonely. It's very isolating. It's, uh, and um, you really want to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. But anyway, so it was because of that sort of inspiration and model, role models, and combined with my parents, what they believed was important. They believed that a good education was important. They also believed that um, uh, ethics and morals was also important, and that's how... That's how uh, that would have been the backbone, backbone of my personality, I suppose. And when you went to uh, Tanzania, what sort of reaction did you get from uh, your family back home in rural Australia when you said, well, actually, I, I think I'm going to stay here? Oh, they just thought I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, typical Gemma, black sheep of the family, doing what she... <laughs> 
what she wants to do with no sort of consideration of what everyone else in the family wants. That was typical me. But I think it was more just out of worry that, uh, you know, because I was very naive and the likelihood of it getting off the ground was pretty hopeless. And that's why I called the school School St. Jude because St. Jude is known as the patron saint of the hopeless cases. But I'm just lucky that it was meant to be. And did you find that your, your upbringing on a farm, uh, as you said before, uh, yeah, you had to do everything that your brothers had to do on the farm, whether it be the shearing or whether it be all the, uh, the crutching and whatever else, you still found that valuable? Oh, absolutely, because, um, you know, just simple things like, uh, you know, um, polythene pipes and pumping water and getting pumps to work and siphoning and electric, electrics and and site plans and gardening and yes absolutely but if anything it was a give up attitude you know farmers are re- farmers have it really hard one year there's drought the next year there's no rain the next year the prices go through the floor the next time next year it's what you know it's pests or insects or mm. there's always something you know they really have a strong don't give up attitude and i think that i inherited that because mm. i sort of wanted to give up five times a day well, we're glad you didn't, and we're, we're glad to be able to hear the story of the School of St. Jude. Now, if people are interested in finding out more, you do have opportunity for international volunteers to come on short or, or long-term placements and offer some sort of uh, skill that they've got that the school might be looking for. Oh, absolutely. Um, anyone that has any sort of common sense, I think common sense is the most important um, uh you know, category or criteria for a volunteer, a sense of humour. But uh, we take people who are good on Word or Excel in the administration, um, people who can help with the maintenance of the school, so know a bit of plumbing or mechanics with buses, uh, construction, anyone who's an experienced teacher. We need experienced teachers to come over and help develop the skills in our local staff, you know, math, science, English uh, type teaching. Yeah, so uh, we have, all you have to do is Google St. Jude, Tanzania and it'll come up with our school and then just go through the website. We've got job vacancies, ways of helping, whether people want to sponsor or donate, it's all tax deductible. So the website has everything that uh, somebody can, can find out information from. And, of course, you can find out more about the School of St. Jude and what you do and, and how you do it as well. Yes, places on the front website and we will we can post a free DVD so they can watch a few documentaries about the school because it's been on Australian Story a couple of times. And there's also a book and um, there's children's books for primary schools. There's all bits and pieces, but we can post that to someone as well and it's all for free. Gemma, it's a fascinating story of uh, Aussies doing something a little different, which we're kind of renowned for doing. (laughs) And uh, it's great to hear that story, not only of uh, the school, but also of how your faith has uh, sustained you and kept you going in what you've endeavoured to do. Gemma Cecilia, thank you so much for sharing the story for your life and also of the School of St. Jude. Thank you. Good on you. I like I enjoy talking to you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.